0: percent of all scientists that have ever been alive are alive today. That's a lot of information, but don't panic. It's not an exact science.
1: Hey Shannon, how are you doing?
0: I'm doing great, John. How about you?
1: Oh, not too bad. Uh, I know this is the first of our summer short series, so we're super excited about that, and I know some of our listeners are as well.
0: Excellent. I'm excited as well, especially because I am... Here in Canyon City doing field work, like hopefully many of our listeners are out doing field work right now as well.
1: Yes, and that is why you and I are talking on the telephone while <laughs> recording the podcast separately on different ends. So this could be a fun one to put together.
0: <laughs> yeah, the internet in the mountains isn't the best thing. <laughs> Especially today, because I don't know if you remember your first day of field camp, John. It was forty three degrees today.
1: Wow. Yeah, I think the first day that I was at field camp, it was cool, but it wasn't that cold, but it was pouring.
0: (laughs) It has been pouring rain for three days. Uh, We didn't even go out into the field yesterday. It was 43 with at least a 10-mile-an-hour wind, and funneling down the the Grape Creek wind gap here in Canyon City, it felt like 20 miles an hour wind. It was quite miserable, actually, and not in the normal, it's 98 degrees miserable, (laughs) It's really freezing cold here.
1: (laughs) Wow, yeah, normally you're worried about heat and fighting off the mosquitoes that are massive.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. No mosquitoes now, because uh, last week, um, just north of us got a foot of snow, so (laughs) it's some interesting weather this year.
1: Wow. (laughs) That is fascinating. Well, unfortunately, I have not got to do anything really fun outdoors. I'm hoping to maybe in the next week or so, but... (laughs) really about the most outdoorsy thing I've done is go out of my office to get a new office chair
0: (laughs) well I know you're really excited about that chair though aren't you
1: oh yeah it's it's been time to replace office chairs for a while but that is something that I could go on for an entire podcast about and this is a short so we shouldn't dwell on that
0: (laughs) (laughs) you're right we shouldn't (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh so i guess we're going to talk about uh field camp today is that what you got on the docket for our first summer shorts
1: yeah i thought we could talk about field camp and what you're doing out there and i also brought up some fun facts about canyon city a lot of which you probably know <laughs> but uh, i thought it would be fun to share with our listeners about the kind of places that you end up doing field work a lot of the times
0: <laughs> uh, that'll be super fun i'm really excited about that um So just sort of a rundown, our field camp is one of the many field camps that comes to the Canyon City, Colorado area during the summer. Um, Canyon City is about uh, 40 miles west of Pueblo, Colorado, which is sort of in southeast Colorado. Uh, And it's located in the Wet Mountains. And uh, the Canyon City Embayment is sort of a a little bite. If you're going to draw a straight line up and down the Rockies, it just sort of like chomps in literally like a bite was taken out of the mountains and that's called the canyon city embayment and that's sort of where we are geologically and a lot of really cool as you know because you've been here um geologic features take place in this area and so i know you know the university of oklahoma is here oklahoma state uh louisiana georgia lots of field camps are active in this area especially you know, in this part of May and June, for most schools' six-week summer geology courses.
1: Yeah, it's a really great area, and I think even Kansas was out there at one point. I don't know if they still go out there, uh, but it's it's an area with some really messed up geology.
0: <laughs> yes, and I'll have to be careful because I know some of my students are my listeners, and so I can't give away exactly what we're doing, but this week what we're doing is just sort of an intro into the stratigraphy of the area. So, you know, we've talked a lot about the importance of understanding the stratigraphy really well of an area. And so this week, we spend a lot of time using our Jacob staffs, so this old-school stick that helps you measure the thicknesses of beds. And we go out, and we make a really big stratigraphic column of all the units that the students are going to see over the next six weeks, basically. So they get to know them really well. And we're not the only group out there doing that um, at the same time, because everyone's trying to learn the area. And what's great about Canyon City is that there's a lot of public land. And so that is what we use to map on. And we use to do the stratigraphy, because there's a lot of really cool parks up in the mountains, and you get really great access to some high class outcrops.
1: Yeah, and you're talking about the Jacob staff. And let's see, I vaguely remember doing this. But it's something (laughs) like you use your Brunton, and you set it to the dip of the beds, and then you put it on the staff and level it. And cite the thickness that way is that right
0: right exactly so the cool part about what the jacob staff does is because you can imagine you're trying to get the true thickness of a bunch of beds of rock so beds are originally laid down horizontally it's one of the laws of geology is the law of original horizontality and so as you can imagine if you have a bunch of horizontal beds and say you have an outcrop of them you could literally just stick a uh you know, measuring tape up there and measure them. But as John just said, uh, the rocks are really messed up out here. So they're all dipping at an angle. So now it's everybody's favorite trigonometry that comes into play if you're trying to actually measure the thickness of the beds. Because you want to, if you walked along the top of the beds, but the beds are dipping at an angle, it's hard to get a true measure of the beds. So the Jacob staff is a great way to do this. What we usually do is we take this Brunton compass and we determine the dip angle of the beds. And now you can set a little level that's on your Jacob staff, which is just a five-foot stick. So the level, you set it equal to your dip angle. And now, voila, trigonometry is done for you by the magic of the Jacob staff. And all you have to do is stand there with your Jacob staff, tilt it until it's at the dip angle. You use a sight that's on the top of the Jacob staff. And you site a spot on the ground and you just do it over and over again and that gives you the true thickness of the beds
1: yeah so it's basically just a big analog calculator which is a really (laughs) cool way to do math
0: (laughs) it's absolutely true and i really like talking to the students in the field because they always ask me these questions like you know well what about slope you know what about this bed over here and it does it doesn't matter It is. It's an analog calculator. The Jacob staff takes all that calculation out of play. So it doesn't matter if you're going uphill, if you're going downhill, if you're going up dip or down dip. It's all in the magic of already presetting that Jacob staff to be level at the dip angle, and that's all you have to do.
1: Yeah, and for your students that are listening, if you don't believe us, uh, draw out, or if anybody wants to, uh, draw (laughs) out the triangle, and you'll see it works. It's actually a really clever design.
0: Uh, that's, that's one of the, um, that's one of the exercises we do at the beginning of our introductory to field class is that we do both things. So they not only do the Jacob staff, but they have to draw the triangle using just their pace as well. And we kind of see the differences, what's better, you know, what's more accurate. And, um, it's a really cool design. And so they really get to understand, you know, the, the problems that they could encounter using a Jacob staff and how to really do it well in the field. So they all, I, they made me proud today. They were all really prepared and they did an excellent job, even in these awful conditions that we have today.
1: That's great. And I mean, yeah, it doesn't run out of battery or anything like that.
0: <laughs> I wasn't going to rub that in. It is quite analog, but an excellent tool.
1: <laughs> yes. So Kenyon city Uh, When I was looking up some things, I mean, I've been there and I knew some of these facts, uh, but I did not know that it was actually uh, laid out in 1858, which was a little surprising to me. But I guess it shouldn't have been because that lines up with the Pikes Peak Gold Rush, which that's one of your field trips, right?
0: uh well it is and it's one of the field trips that we usually take the first friday but it turns out pikes peak is still closed because as i just said we're south of pikes peak and they've gotten a ton of snow i think they just got a couple of feet last night so we're not going to pikes peak yet
1: (laughs) wow that is incredible. <laughs> it, it, it was warm when we were up there last time, even.
0: I know. And there was, I mean, we had we had rain when we were up there last year, and there was still a little bit of snow, but not a lot. This is, it's quite unbelievable weather this year. I think we're going to be talking about this for a long time. One of the places that we first go is Grape Creek, which is a big public area. Um, And as I said, Grape Creek. Well, there's a big creek that runs through it, but the whole area is sort of like a wash for... You know, for when it's flooding, and it was full of water today. So down by the old cottonwood tree, John, if you remember that at all, I don't know (laughs) if you do. Uh, Yeah, that's all full of water, and I've never seen it. it, uh, Fun. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) I've never seen this much water here, so it's really impressive. Give me another fun fact about Canyon City, though. This is cool.
1: (laughs) Okay, so this one I'm sure you know. But the listeners probably don't. So Canyon City is, I will say, a prison town. And it is noted, it's within the first few sentences of its Wikipedia page, for being the location of nine state and four federal prisons.
0: Nope. I didn't know it was that many. (laughs) (laughs) So as you come into town, the Supermax is out here, so... You know, one of the most secure prisons in the country where like the Unabomber and was held, but nine state prisons.
1: And hmm. four federal.
0: Wow. Yep. We're I couldn't find the of statistic, nowhere.
1: but I know that a very large percentage of the population there is involved in law enforcement. Uh, it seems like yes. I heard the statistic when I was there at one point, but it was a surprisingly large number.
0: Oh, yes. Um, it is. And most of the people. Um, that, you know, we have our, our caretaker and a lot of people that were involved with the camp are, you know, they they work for the prison system. It's the main employer out here. And now I see why there are so many because there's, you know, wow, 13 prisons in this small area. <laughs> <Huh>.
1: Yes. <laughs> Though it is a really nice area. Uh, mm-hmm. But, okay, let's see. I've got another one for you here. Uh, There was petroleum drilling in Canyon City in the 1860s. Uh, Can you guess the depth of the first oil strike in Canyon City?
0: Okay, so I'm guessing this is the Florence oil field. Am I right? Do you know that part about it?
1: Uh, I do not know that. That's an excellent question. But
0: I, I think it was in the early 1900s, and it was at a depth of like 800 feet.
1: Oh, no, this this was earlier than that. This was close to an oil seep, so they actually struck oil at a depth of 50 feet.
0: <laughs> That's like hitting fish in a barrel, man. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you dig in the middle of where there's oil coming out of the ground, you have to hit it.
0: <laughs> 50 feet. That's like Pennsylvania-type oil right there. Awesome. <laughs> what y- What yeah. year was this?
1: This was in 1862 by A.M.
0: Wow. Cassiday. Wow, that has to be close to some of the earliest oil production in the country.
1: It says it is the first commercial oil well west of the Mississippi.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> uh, I had no idea. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> we do sit up against um, the pier Shale which is 8,000 feet thick of shale. And as everyone I'm sure has heard, you know, shale gas and shale oil is a really big deal. Um, but they've been doing that game here for quite some time, so since the early 1900s. Um, but the pure shale around around Colorado in general now is a target for oil and gas exploration once again. So I'm not surprised it was that early, but I'm surprised that it was... At 50 feet. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah.
1: Well, and even when I was out there several years ago, there was quite a bit of uh, new production going on in the area.
0: Yes. Yeah, there sure was. And it's ramping up even more. I mean, as the oil prices come up, it'll get even more crowded. So,
1: Oh, yeah, I'm sure. So the last one that I'll uh, throw in here, though, there are a lot more. uh, (laughs) These are all coming from the very credible Wikipedia page, a few of them from other sources. Uh, One... (laughs) The climate data for Canyon City, which I wasn't going to bring up, but since you mentioned the weather out there right now. (laughs) So
0: speaking of climate data, before you give our fun fact, I was told by a local a couple of years ago that they (laughs) refer to this part of Colorado as the banana belt of Colorado.
1: (laughs) The banana belt.
0: Yes. (laughs) I don't think that's an official climate area, but... (laughs) because it's very it's very dry and hot here sort of compared to the rest of what you would think of as colorado but let's hear about the real stats go ahead
1: all right so for this month the record high is 98 the average is 73 the average low is 44 well it's the average high sorry 73 and the record low is 15 these are all fahrenheit of course (laughs) sorry for those of you celsius fans
0: Oh, burr.
1: <laughs> it's better okay. than January when the record low is minus 23 Fahrenheit.
0: Oh, wow. That doesn't sound very banana beltish to me.
1: <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, uh,
0: man, I believe it. I think I would question that, but I believe it. I mean, when I did my field camp over a decade ago, that's all I'm going to say, um, it was also <laughs> in this area. <laughs> and uh, we woke up to snow the first day. But I mean, it melted off. It was just a dusting. But man, after today, it was just miserable. So freezing cold. So. We'll and I remember if... being
1: out there later in the year when the climate stats are similar, when we were doing some field work out there and being mm-hmm. concerned about not being able to find the outcrops because they would be covered in snow.
0: Yeah, that is true. That is true. Um, that's right. Because I remember having to buy a sweatshirt from the local gas station because I was ill prepared for... Yes, weather, yes. which is funny because I did the same thing just two hours ago <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yes let's um, uh, see you... I, I
1: think I, we need to play like the harp you know the flashback music to a few episodes ago <laughs> when you said there's no such thing as bad weather just bad clothing you know, you know
0: there's, there's no, no such thing, thing as bad, bad weather, weather just, just bad, bad clothing, clothing. That's in the past, man. Get over it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm going to see if I can find that sound effect for us here. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, other than uh, making fun of you about your sweatshirt, one of the, uh, th- the cool things that happens out there is you get to see a lot of cool sedimentological processes, which I'm sure we'll talk about later. Oh, but- Yeah that can lead us into the fun paper Friday since we want to keep these short and not make these our shows, right?
0: <laughs> That's right. So also, you know, we traveled out to Canyon City this week and we came up through I-25 from the south. And one of the places that we pass is Great Sand Dunes um, National Park here in Southern Colorado. And it's just this massive amount of gargantuan sand dunes. And they're sort of stuck in this bowl In the mountains, and their sand dunes, as anyone would imagine, a sand dune is really subject to formation based on prevailing winds, which is kind of what we're going to talk about in today's Fun Paper Friday.
1: Yeah, sand dunes are really cool from a fluid dynamics perspective. And this is actually a fun (laughs) paper that Shannon picked out, and it's called (laughs) Methane Storms as a Driver of Titan's Dune Orientation.
0: Right. Um, Titan is a weird and terrifying place.
1: (laughs) Yes, it is.
0: (laughs) Um, so we always joke about it when we talk about it in geology as, um, you know, it's one place that even an engineer can find oil. (laughs) 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 Because, uh, (laughs) because Titan's, Titan literally rains hydrocarbons, right? They have lakes that are hydrocarbons. And as the title of today's paper, methane storms. And it's very different from our environment, but I mean some things are the same, right? I mean, air air is gonna act as a fluid no matter what. And Titan actually has some really big dunes that we can see that are on the equatorial regions. And what's weird about them is that they propagate eastward. So if they're and propagating- The reason that's
1: weird is because the winds are predicted to be <laughs> westward.
0: Yes. <laughs> Yes, exactly. So dunes that propagate into the wind. I mean, we have some dunes here on Earth that sort of face into the wind. So that's not a big deal. But they're not propagating windward. Um, But I really like the idea of why these are doing this. And it has to do with storms.
1: Yeah, and this paper really hit all of the buttons for us because it had geology... (laughs) And then talked about global climate models and Hadley cells. And it was a really nice marriage of meteorology and geology and space science. So uh, two things yeah. that we talk about on this show a lot.
0: <laughs> exactly. So we're we're using a global climate model to model a hydrocarbon storm and its effect on sand dune movement. It's the best yes. paper ever. <laughs> <laughs> but so what was cool about it um just like john said they talked about the climate but then they talk about these storms which they think are sort of one of these main reasons that these dunes are propagating eastward so they're not propagating necessarily windward but these storms pull down eastward winds and move these equatorial dunes during the stormy season on titan
1: Right. So just like here on Earth, we have the water cycle, and that's how we get clouds and eventually precipitation. It's the exact same principle, but on Titan, the clouds are methane, the precipitation <laughs> is methane, and it is the methane cycle. So all of the numbers in here are quoted like a methane humidity of 40% at the surface.
0: <laughs> oh, it's so strange.
1: It, it is. And if you look at some of the output from this model, which was called TRAMS, the Titan Regional Atmospheric Scale Modeling System i did not know that existed nope Um, (laughs) you can actually see similar structure to large storms on earth uh right they they even even... oh go ahead nope i'm
0: gonna say the same thing you are okay
1: yep they calculate (laughs) convective available potential energy
0: (laughs) Uh, that's awesome. So that's one of those nerdy meteorology things where, you know, that's the first thing you look for when you're looking for how big a storm is going to be is how much, you know, how much energy it has available to it once it grows. Um, so <laughs> that's kind of awesome. Um, it's it's kind of sad, though. It's only about 500 joules per kilogram of CAPE that they yeah, calculate for
1: these. That's really not a huge amount, but I guess Mm-mm. we aren't talking... It is deep convection, though, they say. I mean, just a couple degree uh, warm bubble on the surface is enough to make things go unstable and get these really large storms that, like Shannon said, bring wind down. And one way that they can help create the correct flow on the surface is through another one of my favorite meteorological phenomena, uh, cold pools and gust fronts.
0: Right, exactly. Um, So storms lend themselves very well to um, sort of animalistic metaphors or living metaphors. And I mean, so a gust front is basically a storm exhaling. And so you can think about this exhaling methane storm, and that's a gust front. And the gust fronts are strong enough and long lived enough to actually propagate this dune movement along the equator.
1: Right. So you can think of a cold downdraft, and it hits the ground, and it spreads out kind of this pool of cold air, and the leading edge of that is exactly what Shannon's talking about. And one thing that they mentioned in here that I didn't really think about that much, I guess, because I don't think about dunes all that much, (laughs) is that though if you have a lot of sediment, you get dunes that are going to be oriented uh, orthogonally to your wind direction— right but if you're in some kind of limited sediment environment which they think they are because there are mm-hmm. areas where they see bedrock you actually get these things where the dunes are lined up parallel to the wind and they call that the resultant drift direction or rdd <laughs>
0: uh right um the 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 dunes on Titan are sort of strange, and I love the sentence that says, the nature of the sand on Titan is not well known.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, but we're going to make some assumptions about it, and turns out they work pretty well.
0: Uh, Yeah, yeah. It was a really neat marriage of climate and uh, sedimentation movement. And there are some really cool images in the paper, too, um, making analogs between these linear dunes on Titan and then also longitudinal dunes, which is what we call dunes that are lined up in the wind direction um, here on Earth. So they look at longitudinal dunes in the Rube al-Khali desert and then compare it to what we're seeing on Titan.
1: I'm glad you're the one that tried to say the desert name instead of me. <laughs> I would have just called it the desert. Uh, but... but I
0: said it with conviction, so it sounded right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes. And in this figure four that Shan's talking about, where they show the dunes on Titan and the dunes uh, here on Earth on the desert, uh, they actually show what you would typically think of as like a wind rose type map or a fracture orientation map. Uh, But in this case, it is a rose display of the sand flux, which is roughly going to be wind direction. But it's kind of a neat way to do it.
0: See, and we, well, we always talk about how air acts as a fluid. That's our meteorologist's favorite thing to say, right? Or dynamicist's favorite thing to say. Um, and these rose diagrams we frequently use for um, looking at paleocurrent analysis. So we'll look at little rocks that line up in the rock record and we can tell which direction fluid was flowing so it's the exact same thing when we look at these dunes that are lined up in the direction of wind flow create these rose diagrams and now we have a prevailing wind direction that created the dunes
1: all right i mean that's why people do flume experiments uh, to study dunes right
0: Exactly. Yep. Uh, All different kinds of flumes on different kinds of scales um, can produce. There are a multitude of sand dunes. Aeolian transport processes are really interesting to me. And like you said, some dunes are in line with the wind. Some dunes face into the wind. Parabolic dunes are the opposite of that. So there's a lot to be learned about weather based on sand dunes. And I really like the marriage of of, you know, our two favorite sciences, well, three favorite sciences (laughs) in this paper. (laughs) It's really awesome.
1: Yeah, so this will be linked in the show notes. It's Nature Geoscience that recently came out April 13th of this year. So that is your Fun Paper Friday. Be sure to uh, send us any suggestions you have for Fun Paper Friday or let us know what you're doing this summer, you know, tweet us some pictures of what you're doing outside or your field area, or if you're like me, uh, some pictures of what code you're working <laughs> on right now.
0: John's field area is his desk, but that's okay. We'll take those pictures too.
1: Yes. So, Shannon, how can they get a hold of us?
0: Well, they can drop us an email, show at don'tpanicgeocast.com. As always, we're on Twitter at don'tpanicgeo. John is Geo underscore Lieben, and I am at Shannon Doolin.
1: Right. So until next time, this has been your first summer short. Remember, (laughs) don't panic.
0: It's not an exact science.
1: Any opinions, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed are solely ours and do not necessarily reflect the views of our employers or funding agencies.